This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Bachelorette, episode number one, recorded Wednesday, April 1st, 2015. <laughs> yeah, it's we've decided to start over, start fresh, and uh, forego all of the 214 or so episodes we did of the previous podcast and yeah. talk about The Bachelorette from Yeah, we're just going to move right into The Bachelorette, and uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that all the time. That's right. April, April Fool's. We probably should have checked if that show's even still on TV, because I have no idea if it is. Well, I mean, they still making them, but uh, I, I don't think there's a Bachelorette currently airing. I think it finished for the season. <laughs> okay, well, next year, boy, we're picking right up on that. <laughs> I could have gone with the Real Housewives of Miami. Aren't they doing a Real Housewives of Vancouver soon? Or was I that really, a, was that an April Fool's joke? You are more informed about this than I am. I, I really have no idea. I just saw something online about the Real Housewives of Vancouver. And now that I think about it, that may have been an April Fool's joke. I don't yeah. know. Well, this is also an April Fool's joke because it's episode uh, 214 for uh, the, the Talking Dead. Yes, that is correct. Recorded on Wednesday, <laughs> April the 1st, 2015. That's correct. Happy April Fool's Day, everybody. Were you fooled by any online pranktitude today? No. I mean, our IT department at uh, where I work tried to pull a prank on us, telling us that they're going to downgrade all our computers to Windows 7. But I would have welcomed that, so it wasn't really a bad prank. <laughs> that's right. Um, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, if you wouldn't mind, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be really nice, actually. Uh, my office, or my the building my office is in, sent a, well... Sorry, a fake communication as if it came from the property management company that my office building has yep. came around today saying that they have to do emergency demolition of the uh, outer surface of one of the walls of the building and uh, because the bricks aren't environmentally friendly and they have to replace nice. them. <laughs> <laughs> and things like, you know, stepladders will be provided for entering uh, through a special entrance, which is really just a window, stuff nice. like that. That's fun. I wish that was real. That'd be cool. Oh, yeah. No, I never fell for it, but some people did. Yeah. Somebody asked if alternate meeting spaces would be made available because the boardroom would, would have no wall. <laughs> Although that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Very airy. Oh, yeah, it would be. Nice for the summer. Maybe, <laughs> except when it rains. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyways, that's enough of that. We are here to do our feedback, our listener feedback for the season five finale called Conquer. But there's a few things to get out of the way first. We also, of course, promised everyone that this episode of the podcast would feature you and I recording a scene from the show. One scene. So that is about to happen. And uh, before we get to that, though, I should, I guess, just say thank you to everyone that sent in entries over the last week or so. The deadline is tonight. So by the time you hear this, you probably will have missed the deadline. But we got a whole bunch of new entries in the last uh week or so. So thank you to everyone who sent those in. Jason and I will be reviewing them, discussing it. And, you know, we, we outlined the process on the last episode. It's a very complicated process Intensive. To, pick, to pick our favorites. And we will get that uh, winner announced on Monday's show coming up next week. Yeah. But right now we are here to record a scene. So it, it, we can tell people that this is... Well, the, the one we sorry, the scene we did for the la, for last year's record of favorite scene podcast was the first scene between 
Rick and Shane, basically Which the was, open, opening scene of episode one. Yeah, it was the first. It was the first scene of the show. That's right. So here we are today to do the last scene between Rick and Shane mm-hmm. from season two. Yes. And is there anything else we want to say about this before we get started? I, I don't know. I'm a little nervous because uh, it's gonna it's gonna suck. I'm sorry. Well, it's uh, not gonna be good. No. Spoiler alert. <laughs> So the episode was called Better Angels, which was the second last episode of season two. Yeah. And uh, I, I watched it for the first time since uh, since I watched it for this podcast, which is, it's been a long time since I've rewatched any episode. And boy, howdy, did uh, Carl ever look young? Did you oh, notice? Oh, yeah. Carl is a very different kid now. Yeah. It's the they hair. They grow up so fast. They really do, but it's the hair. His hair's all long and shaggy now. He's got like yeah. a mustache. Back then, he was a, he was an actual little kid. Yeah. Um. Anyways, this is the scene where uh, Shane dies. It's the final scene with Shane. Oh, spoiler. Well, you know, I don't think we can spoil <laughs> a show from three years ago, um, especially one that we've <laughs> recapped, recapped and spoiled in detail already. Um. So this is totally un- unrehearsed, like everything we do around here. So we shouldn't yeah. be worried about that. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I don't know. For some reason, I just feel more pressure trying to deliver this kind of thing and uh, than I do on anything else we do. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah, we're just going to dig in and uh, see how it goes. So I did the voice of Rick last time. And yep. we talked, this is what we did talk about ahead of time. Uh, that makes me the official voice of Rick on this podcast. And therefore, you become the official voice of Shane. So that's not going to change for this yep. scene. Yep. Um, and, and really, I don't think anything else is going to change either. We're just going to see how this goes. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? I am ready. I'm going to take <clears throat> a drink. All right. Get that shot of whiskey in. Get that shot of whiskey in. That's much, much better. I mean, it might need eight or nine shots of it to get through this, but we'll see how it goes. All right. Do you want to give me action or anything like that? Because I start this off. Uh, yeah. So the scene is uh, Rick and Shane are walking out of the woods into a clearing, and uh, Rick is about maybe five or six feet uh, right ahead, directly ahead of Shane. All right. That's that's the scene description. I asked if you were going to give me the action. <laughs> what action? As in a director says action. Oh, yeah. Oh, and action. <laughs> Hold on. I'm not ready yet. Now I'm talking oh. about action. So, all right. I think I'm prepared. I'm, I'm the actor. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a divas type actor, so I'm ready. Director, you can, you can begin now. And action. So this is where you plan to do it? It's a good place as any. At least have the balls to call this what it is, murder. You really believe if you walk back into that farm alone, no me, no Randall? I want you to hush up. You really believe they're going to buy whatever bullshit story you cook up? That's just it. It ain't no story. I saw that prisoner shoot you down. I ran after him. I snapped his neck. It ain't going to be easy, but Lori and Carl, they'll get over you. They've done it before. They'll just have to. Why? Why now? I thought we worked this all out. Oh, we tried to kill each other, man. What you think? We just going to forget about it all? We going to ride off into the sunset together? You're going to kill me in cold blood? Screw my wife? My children? Have my children call you daddy? Is that what you want? That life won't be worth a damn. I know you. You won't be able to live with this. What 
do you know about what I can live with? You got no idea what I can live with, what I live with. You going to talk about what I can do, Rick? How about what you can do? Here I am. Come on, man. Raise your gun. No, no, I will not. What happened, Rick? I thought you weren't the good guy anymore. Ain't that what you said? Even right here, right now, you ain't going to fight for him? I'm a better father than you, Rick. I'm better for Lori than you, man. It's just because I'm, I'm a better man than you, Rick, because I can be here and I'll fight for it. You come back here and you just destroy everything. You got a broken woman. You got a weak boy. You ain't got the first clue on how to fix it. Raise your gun. You're going to have to kill an unarmed man. Watch my hand. Nice and easy. Now listen to me, Shane. There's still a way back from this. Nothing has happened here. We're going to lay down our guns, and we're going to walk back to the farm together. Back to Lori, back to Carl. Put all this behind us. Damn you for making me do this, Shane. Damn you. This was you, not me. You did this to us. This was you, not me. Not me. Not me. (laughs) And scene. That's pretty good. I, th- I think that went really well. That was fun. I, you know, we should maybe do this more often. I, I think I've, I think your performance was great. I must say. Oh, I, well, you were better than me. I was nothing. I was just reading these stupid lines. No, no, no. You got into it. I mean, it started slow, but once you got into Shane's longer monologues there or longer bits, it was uh, you. You really delivered. That was fun. No, it was all you. It was all you, Chris. <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. There is me and Jason. Recording Shane and Rick's final scene together from season two. That was awesome. That was cool. (laughs) All right. Uh, Like I said, we'll choose the winner later this week, and uh, you will find out uh, on Monday who it is. Thanks to everyone that sent those entries in. Okay. Um, One thing I want to address, a couple things before we get into the feedback also. We had like a million people write in this week asking if we will be covering Fear the Walking Dead now that it's been officially announced or named anyways and they played a promo for it during the season finale people are wondering if we're going to be covering that if we're going to be doing a podcast if we will be doing the same thing we do for that show that we do for the main show and I'll try to respond to everyone's emails but just in case you are listening to this the answer is yes yes (laughs) We will be covering that show. Now, I am not 100% sure yet if the format of the podcasts that we cover those episodes on will be exactly the same as what we do for the main show. We're still figuring that out. And by format, I just mean, you know, will we do the same kind of extensive recap? Will we do holy crap? I don't know yet. Um, We're going to figure that out. But what I do know is that we will be covering it that we will be releasing those episodes on the very same feed and website as this podcast. We're not going to separate it out. And it will be on during the summer. So we will have something to do during the summer months or the weeks when uh, that show is on. Right. That'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be really good. So have no fear. We will be doing that. And as things go on, I mean, if that show ends up expanding into a 13 or 16 episode season, um, we'll see. We'll decide what to do then. Maybe then it'll spin off into its own podcast. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Have to see how it goes. For now, though, season one is only six episodes. Oh, okay, that was my that was my question. If we if we know how many episodes they've ordered, 
Yeah, just just the six. Um, okay. Although they've renewed it for season two already. So wow. Okay. So season two could be another six. It could be thirteen. Could be sixteen. Who knows? The, they might decide that once they see how the ratings are for season one. Yeah. But we will be covering it, and uh, as soon as we have more information, you will have more information because we'll talk about it right here, and I will probably you know make announcements and stuff on uh, Facebook as well. So rest assured, we'll be doing something. All right, the ratings for Conquer. Oh, yeah. Here, here they come. They were pretty good. Um, do you remember what you predicted? 24.3, I think. 22. 20, <laughs> I predicted 22? 22 million. Okay, so what, what were they? The actual retail ratings were 15.78. So we didn't really approach that 22 million mark, although that is up by a couple million from the the previous episode. Well, that's pretty good. I mean, we didn't get to the uh, to the, the lofty heights that I had set. You know, if everybody that was watching football decided to to watch this and it was uh, you, you doubled the, uh, the 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 viewership, that'd be that'd have been awesome. But, yeah, I I think I read. I didn't make a note of this, unfortunately, but I think I read it is the highest rated season finale, which I find slightly hard to believe at fifteen point seven eight, but. Pretty sure I read that. It's not the highest rated episode of all time. In fact, it's only third on that list, I believe. Uh, the first one, the highest rated is still the season five premiere with with uh, 17 point something million. Right. So 15.78, pretty darn good, no matter what. It is what. pretty good. But uh, we didn't quite hit that 22 million mark. I wonder if we'll ever break 20 million on this show. Of course. Do you think so? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's only going to get more and more popular? Yeah, next episode. Season premiere will be 23.2 million. Season premiere of six. Well, if the premieres seem to get more than the finales, so you could be right. We could hit 20 million. Well, we're going to get Fear the Walking Dead that'll uh, you know lead into the hype of the whole thing, and then they're going to pour a, uh, a a metric shit ton of money into the uh, into the marketing and promotion of this show. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm predicting uh, quite, a, quite a bit of uh, an increase in viewership. Well, when you, when you pour in a metric shit ton, that's... Yeah bound to have a huge effect that's more than a regular ton <laughs> it really is <laughs> yeah it's a metric shit ton it's even more than a regular shit ton it is yeah <laughs> all right well we will see next season for season six all right here we go listener feedback listener feedback all right our first uh communication is a call from stephanie good morning it's stephanie calling from denver colorado um i had a quick question Am I, is my math wrong, or is the whole how many guns they took from the armory was a little inconsistent? Um, they said they took three guns from the armory, one for Daryl, Carol, and Rick. But if I'm not mistaken, I thought Carol took a bag full of guns, including ammunition. So I thought maybe you guys could help me with my memory uh, and let me know if I'm completely off base. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right, Stephanie. So how many guns did Carol steal? Did she steal a bag or three? Well, both. Um, she stole a bag of three. I think that's about it. I went back and rewatched the scene where she's stealing them. We see her physically pick up two guns and put them yep. in a bag. Then we, we see her reach for two more, although we don't see the guns go in the bag. Right. So we do see her take up to four. Now, that doesn't mean she didn't take more later on off camera, but let's assume that did not happen and that the ones we saw her reach for are indeed what she took. So it looks like she took four guns. Um, and then we don't see her take any ammunition. But I guess you have to assume that she did 
take some bullets as well. I would hope so. Why would you? She's steal, not stupid. Why would you steal guns and no bullets? How yeah. is she going to shoot the propane tank without any bullets? That's right. She needs bullets to do that. Yeah. Um, I also went to check the forest scene where she's handing the guns out to Rick and Daryl. And in that scene, she takes three guns out of the bag all at once. And Rick takes one and Daryl declines. So she either took three or four guns and distributed one of them. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's that's the best we can do, I think, based on what we saw on screen. So uh, she better scour the countryside and hide them in as many blenders as she can find. <laughs> that's right, and uh, hopefully, no one's sneaking up behind her, watching her do that. All right. So the next communique we got was from Roll Tide Mike in uh, Alabama. Hey, fellas, this is Roll Tide Mike from Alabama. Carol is a complete badass. From the minute she walked in the door of that exile house where Pete was to give him the casserole, she completely dominated him. She, she went in there with a purpose, and she basically owned him. But my holy crap moment was the camera pulled back, and it showed a shot of, of Carol facing Pete. And Pete is a big dude. If you remember from the fight scene, Pete is actually bigger than Rick. So it showed Carol facing him, squared off against him, little small Carol just basically owning him. She was holding the knife up to him, and the, the juxtaposition of small little Carol completely controlling big, crazy Pete was just, holy crap, she's a badass. Thanks, Roll Tide, Mike. Um, yes, she's much smaller, and Pete is a really big dude, um, and I guess that's why she sort of needed the knife, but it also brings me back to my feelings when on Monday when I was saying that I'm not sure that was the best decision by Carol to go in there, like, alone, because... I feel like Pete could have easily gotten the better of her and uh, hurt her somehow. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a there's a size difference, there's a strength difference, but uh, there's also a definite mean difference, meanness difference. And Carol is winning on the meanness side. And when you're standing in front of someone, doesn't matter how big they are, but if you recognize that they're just pure mean, you know, kick-ass meanness, uh, you're gonna think twice about uh, taking a swing at them. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, and she did have a knife, of course. Uh, but more on uh, more on Carol's conf- uh, confrontation with Pete a little bit later, I think. People- One more thing about the size difference. If I walked into uh, a forest and I looked down and there was a uh, a rabid raccoon standing in front of me, there's a big size difference. And if we got into a scrap, I might be able to take out that raccoon. But uh, I sure as hell going to get some scrapes and bruises and ra- probably rabies in the in the process. So I'm not going to start a fight with a rabid raccoon. That's Even a, though I'm much bigger than a rabid raccoon. That's a great analogy. You might win the fight, but you're going to end up with rabies. Yeah, I yeah, it's definitely going to uh, it's definitely going to cost me. Not so, uh, not something you want to do. So, so you have to ask yourself, do you feel lucky, punk? <laughs> yeah. What you really have to ask yourself is, do you want to get rabies or not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, Mike. This next one is Rusty on the internet, and he has a couple of holy craps for us. Hi, just wanted to say you guys are doing a great job, and I'd like to thank you for the hard work you put into doing this. Um, I just wanted to say also I had two holy crap moments. Uh, Holy crap moment number one is uh, Glenn. Uh, The guy's come a long way in his show, but uh, wow, this guy is uh, invincible. Being shot, having a pile of zombies on him, I just can't believe that... uh, Glenn's still alive. Uh, I don't uh, know if it, they're working it up to use later, but uh, right now, Glenn, you're one tough SOB, and uh, 
number two holy crap moment would be Abraham holding down Pete when Rick shot him in the head. If I was Abraham, I'd be checking my hand to make sure all my fingers were there, and then I'd be checking my underwear to make sure that I didn't need to go change them. But uh, you guys are doing a great job, and uh, I keep listening. All right, a couple couple of things there. Rusty, uh, SOB stands for son of a bitch, in case you're wondering, uh, for people that don't know what SOB stands for. Who doesn't know that? I don't know. Everybody knows that. I just thought I'd point that out. All right, and Rusty, you said, you said thanks for all the hard work. Uh, I just want to point out to everybody that Chris does all the hard work. I hardly do anything. Just so, just so you know, Chris does absolutely everything. He's the uh, the mastermind behind this. He's the uh, the workhorse. He's the uh, the solid foundation. And uh, I just show up here, and uh, Chris lets me hang out and talk. That ain't, and that ain't no April Fool's joke. No, it isn't. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to address his second holy crap uh, of Abraham holding down Pete when Rick shot him. If you watch that scene, Abraham has his hand on uh, Pete's head, holding it against the ground. Yep. Rick turns around with no hesitation and shoots. And we have to assume he shoots him in the head because why would you shoot him somewhere else? You have to shoot him in the head anyway. Um, so I hope Rick took a quick peek to see if Abraham's hand was you know, in the way before he shot that gun? Well, two things. One, uh, you know, you shoot him in the head now or you shoot him in the head later. So he maybe he shot him in the body just to, you know, dispatch the life from the son of a bitch and then shoot him in the head later when he, uh, before he turns into a zombie. Second of all, uh, everybody in this show is obviously an expert marksman in headshots. So I wouldn't have any hesitation about holding someone's head while, uh, while Rick shoots him in the head. So it's like, it's like that game where you put your hand down on a bar table and you spread your fingers and do the knife between all your fingers as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's what Rick did with, uh, with, uh, Pete's head and Abraham's hand. That's right. Hmm. Yeah, I would try, I would trust Rick to, uh, to take a good, take the accurate shot. Hmm. Well, okay. I still think Rusty has a point that, uh, even if Abe trusted him, a gun going off that close to you, it's gonna, it's gonna startle you a little. Well, yeah, I, that there's that. <laughs> there is that. All right. Uh, let's move on. All right. So next we have a call from Corey in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, this is Corey Wilson from Atlanta, Georgia. And I just wanted to touch on a comment you guys made about Father Gabriel meeting that zombie in the middle of the road. It had the noose around his neck. And I'm, I'm assuming it's supposed to be symbolism for him giving up and seeing what will happen to him if he gives up from the walker obviously being somebody who committed suicide as well and that it won't really change anything anyways thanks you guys do a really good show and i look forward to seeing the feedback episode great thank you Corey. so i from a symbolism standpoint i think Corey makes an excellent point yeah that's that's a very good point um, from an actual practical sort of standpoint, I don't think that a noose around someone's neck necessarily means that they committed suicide, but it's, it, it is a likely scenario. Well, you, people like the, uh, I, I don't think anybody's hanged in the States anymore, but then again, you know, it is an apocalypse. So people probably get hanged all the time. You don't see a lot of people in the back of, uh, of canned food trucks hung on meat hooks either, but we saw that in this episode. If I'm not mistaken, Utah just reinstated firing squad as the well. Death firing penalty. squad's different. I mean, it's uh, we could talk a whole thing about firing squad, but uh, firing squad's probably in my mind a, a little better than other options. But we can talk about that off offline. Maybe we should. Yeah. <laughs> um, all I'm saying is, you know, I guess in the zombie apocalypse, 
if you find someone with a noose around their neck, there's a pretty good chance they hung themselves. Um, I, my first thought was like, wait a minute, that doesn't mean he killed himself. But I think now that I think about it, it's actually pretty likely someone just wants a way out. And we've seen people on this show before who've hung themselves. Was it an actual noose or just a, a knot? No, on the zombie that yeah. Gabriel, it was an actual noose. Actual noose. Because not that many people know how to tie a noose. No, I certainly wouldn't. I could teach you. If I wanted to learn how to do that, I'd have to go on the internet, look it up, practice a whole bunch. Yeah, it's been two years since the internet went down, man. People don't can't just look up stuff on the internet anymore. Well, I'm saying, oh, that's true. I'm saying like in real life right now, if yeah. I wanted to do that, I'd have to spend all that. By the time I did it, I'd probably want to just have a sandwich and get on with my life. My Boy Scout teacher or Boy Scout leader taught me how to tie a noose. <laughs> I don't know why he would teach a young boy how to tie a noose, but he did. Yeah, that, oh boy, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, Not good at all. Anyways, thank you, Corey. From a from a symbol symbolism standpoint, I think it's it's really spot on. It uh, you know yeah. Gabriel sees that and thinks, well, I may want to die, but it's not going to change anything. I'm just going to have to live eternity as a as a flesh eating monster. Yeah, don't 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 hang yourself if you're going to try and kill yourself in the zombie apocalypse. Something that damages the brain, please. Very simple concept. Yeah. Uh, okay, Chris in Chicago, Illinois writes. Let me start by saying I didn't mind try as much as Chris did. Not a ton happened, but it looked very much like a course correction episode to try to lead us to what happened in the comics. This episode, however, really annoyed me, especially at the truck trailers. I mean, how could Mr. I can spot a broken twig to tell if a man walked through here 20 minutes ago, Dixon, not have seen the empty can wind chimes that were put up? Or maybe smelled an entire trailer filled with rotting flesh. And how is it that we were able to just hang out in the minivan having a smoke break when previously on this show, car windows have lasted seconds? Well, yes. I think Chris has a point here. Maybe a little bit. Uh, I do think Daryl and Aaron, both who are supposed to be you know, experienced trackers or at least experienced people surviving out in the wild... Um, I think it is a little bit crazy that neither of them questioned the cans hanging on strings. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, they, they would have at least said to each other, what's going on here? Maybe we should hang back a little bit. And then, uh, and then hiding in the car. Yeah, I know we've seen car windows be broken pretty easily before, but every window's different, I guess. Maybe there was... Was this a Hyundai? Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't notice. Because if it was a Hyundai, the windows wouldn't have broken. That's no. for sure. But you know what? I think that sponsorship is over now, so. Oh, so if it was a Hyundai, the windows could have broken. Maybe. I don't know. What are they, what are they being sponsored by now? I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure, but I think Chevrolet might be involved now. Okay, so if it was a Chevy, the windows won't break. Maybe not. It must have been a Chevy. I don't know. Um, they, they did seem pretty calm, though, in that car. I mean, they were just sitting there having a conversation. They weren't really panicking at all. And yeah. you'd think that if you were stuck in that situation, you'd be a little bit more upset about it. Oh, and transport trailers are not soundproof either. So if there's like uh, a couple of hundred zombies in the uh, in the transport trailers all trying to mill about and get out, they'd be banging on the walls. They'd be groaning and stuff. Yeah, but I have, I uh, if you noticed, the walls of those transport trailers were lined with mattresses. Oh. So they would provide some soundproofing. And definitely some smell proofing. I don't know. I've seen okay. some pretty smelly mattresses. Maybe not smell proofing, uh, but definitely sound proofing. Okay, so yes, that that makes sense. Right, and if they were bounce, if they were bumping up against them, you wouldn't necessarily hear that. The groaning would be deadened. 
Um, but you're right. I, now that I think about it, the smell would probably still get out. But yeah. anyways, uh, the wolves are not totally um, totally clueless. Lining with mattresses is a good idea. Yeah, I had a I had a cat that gave birth to a bunch of kittens on a on a bed once, and that mattress did not smell good afterwards. Did you throw it out? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's not like you can't throw it out. Like, what are you gonna do? A cat had friggin' kittens on it for crying out loud. Well, I mean, if a cat pees on an, a chair, I mean that chair is garbage. Pretty much, you can't get cat pee smell out of stuff. No, no. All right, next we have an email from Charles in San Francisco. Throughout the season, we've seen these weird hints about the wolves mixed in with different threads about Morgan, the hospital, Alexandria, and the priest. Uh, It seems at times like there was so much going on, but now it's all clear what it was for. It's setting us up for season six for a giant conflict. War, maybe? Towards the end of the episode, we start seeing that the wolves are up to, what the wolves are up to when they reset the trap. Their motivations aren't clear yet, though, but now it's fairly clear they don't want to share the tea. With everything that happens at the <laughs> end with Rick and the meeting, I think it's setting up Alexandria to be a formidable place if they get their crap together. So Alexandria is coming together because Rick is taking over and he's going to train them how to survive. And the wolves, we although we don't know their motivations yet are clearly going to come into contact with Alexandria somehow, but it'll be just in time or just too late because Alexandria will have gotten prepared. Right. And that's Well, let's hope. Let's hope. That's going to be the first half of season six right there. Yeah, probably. <laughs> a lot uh, of... Is, is, that, uh, is that a phrase in, in San Francisco? They don't want to share the tea? No, I think that's a reference to uh, Morgan at the beginning. With I think it was soup he was making. Oh, but- oh okay. It was, yeah, I thought it was soup. I think so. It came in like a soup packet, I think, but uh, tea, soup, they don't want to share it. They just want everything for themselves. That's the wolves' mode of operation. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks, Charles. Next is Riley in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, right down the street from us. Did you notice how we all, including yourselves, meaning you and me, Jason, okay, were convinced that in order to create a great shocking twist to this episode, that a main character had to die and not one really did? I wouldn't call Pete or Reg exactly main characters. The writers, actors, and production team did an amazing job by giving us what felt like the most suspense, tension, and roller coaster of action and drama that just this show has seen in its entire five-season run yet to date. My hat's off to everyone involved. Well, that's nice. Yeah, it's, it's really good. I think that I'm going to stop expecting deaths at any point in this TV show. Okay. Season premiere, season finale, mid-season finale, you know, second to last episode. I'm just going to let them hit me with whatever they want to do because uh, even though there seems like there's been a little bit of a pattern up until now, um, I think hopefully they don't follow that, you know, as the as future seasons come down the pipe. Right, 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 right. All right, next we have Sanj on the internet. There were many rumors about major character deaths, speaking of deaths, in the season finale. Every time there was a scene with either Glenn or Daryl or even Morgan, I was watching intently, almost at the edge of my seat, expecting a uh, the big death to occur. I was extremely intense all the way up to the end of the show. Makes me wonder if the show purposefully fueled these rumors to produce that kind of tension in the viewing audience. In the end, I was surprised that no major character died, but I wasn't disappointed. And I'm just going to go right into... The next one with Beth from Charlotte here. She says, about the season finale, Norman Reedus said, wow, bring your Kleenex and you'll be screaming at your television. So for a week, I was panicked about which character would die. 
I think Carol is brilliant, and I knew it would make me grab my Kleenex box for sure if she was killed. I watched the episode, fearing the worst, and then when it was over, I was mad as hell. After spewing several curse words, I realized the cold, hard truth. I had just been punked by Norman Reedus. <laughs> so these two go together because, what do you think? Do you think they, that AMC or you know anyone involved with this show purposefully kind of fuels rumors to to get people to believe one thing just to pull the rug out from under them when they air an episode? Yeah. I mean, was uh, Robert Kirkman saying anything at all? Because everything out of his mouth is a lie. Well, we know that. I mean, you can't trust Robert Kirkman for, for anything, really. So that just proves that they are they will definitely spread misinformation in order to build hype or to misdirect us. Kirkman, uh, sure. But he's, I mean, he's just him. Like, he's just an idiot who will say anything that comes into his mind. <laughs> a genius idiot. A genius idiot, exactly. <laughs> no offense, Mr. Kirkman. Or, or an idiot genius. Depends. One of the two. Um, but, like, do you think there's... Uh, an actual PR strategy um, or or marketing strategy that AMC takes and says, you know, we want Norman Reedus to go out and say that this episode, it's going to make you scream at your television and make you cry. And everyone's going to think, oh my God, Daryl's going to die or someone's going to die. And then that just hype gets building and building and building and the snowball starts rolling. And then, I mean, is that what they're going for, do you think? I'm not sure. I, I think it is a uh, a plot by the various people working on the show, but I don't think there's a master plan involved. I think it's it's something like Greg Nicotero and Norman Reedus are giggling like schoolgirls uh, around the the craft table, saying, "Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we uh, if I, the next interview I said this?" And uh, Greg goes, "Yeah, do that, man. That'd be cool." And then they giggle some more and then go back to work. Can I hear then, you do an impression of Norman Reedus giggling like a schoolgirl, please? <laughs> no, I don't think I can, as uh, you know, as evident in the uh, the performance that we gave earlier in this episode. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just I, I don't think it's a master plan by uh, a committee of planners that are doing this all disinformation. I think it's just it's Norman Reedus thinking of this kind of stuff, or uh, the various people working on the show thinking of uh, misinformation. If there is a plan, it's somebody said. Go spread some information that isn't true. And just at a general staff meeting and everybody's like, oh, okay, cool. They go giggle and eat their craft table goodies and go off and do their their crazy interviews. Okay. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, maybe it's not in, I don't know. I think marketing people do a lot of things like this all the time. So maybe it's not as detailed as I think, but I'm pretty sure it's there. I think uh, random people can do random things that uh, seem like there's a, a master planner involved, but I generally, I generally think that individual people do weird individual things. Well, that's true too, I suppose. Because I definitely don't plan a whole lot about my image. <laughs> no, I guess not. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next, we have a call uh, from Matt in Delaware. Hey guys, this is Matt in Delaware again. I keep thinking of things to say, and I'm sorry that I keep calling them in. Um, anyway, I just wanted to talk about, real quick, your theory about not killing off main characters in the finales, and I think you're spot on, and I'll tell you why. I think if they killed off, say, your favorite character in the very last episode of either the you know season finale or especially the season finale, you would have, they would lose a lot of viewers. I think, you know, if they they kill Daryl, like you think that they will, and I agree with that they will, 
you're going to lose half of your female viewership for the next season because they're going to be like, well, he's not here anymore, obviously, so we're going to get, you know, we're not going to watch anymore. Anyway, uh, that's my theory. I wanted to see if you guys agree with it in that respect. So I'll talk to you later. Hey, thanks, Matt. Um, I think that's an interesting point. Uh, it makes it, if you kill a character at the end of a season, season finale, it makes it too easy for the fans of that character to just not come back the next season. Oh, that's very, very, very true. Right. It's it's just it wraps it up in a nice bow for them, and everyone who loved Daryl and says we'll stop watching if we if Daryl's dead will be like, yeah, okay, well that season ended, so why are we going to go back to it? Right, and I just was thinking of like seven other shows that uh, sort of did that, um, and but I won't spoil any of them. Uh, yeah, just can you imagine after season three if they if uh, Breaking Bad killed off Jesse, you know, uh, people wouldn't come back. It's like who's going to say bitch? <laughs> Who? We need Walt? a guy. We need no. We need a guy to say bitch. <laughs> Hank, screw that. It just no. wouldn't work. Yeah, so uh, I can definitely see that as a concern. But then you can use that, right? If you kill off a. a a majorly beloved character in the mid-season finale, or even in the middle of the ep- uh, middle middle of the season, that could work to your advantage. But I can see your point that if you kill them right at the end of the season, they're like, "Well, that was a good show." Yeah, and then that was, and that's it. That's it. We're done. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, all right. Speaking of moving on, next is an email from Paul in England. Paul says, "I feel that the finale would have benefited from main character death." But then not ending on a huge cliffhanger will probably serve the show better in the long run, as they'll now be able to make a time jump for the first time since the end of season three. This will allow the show to skip over our gang adjusting to Alexandria, and will also give Carl a chance to be nearer to Chandler Riggs's actual age. Heck, if they kept showing the story day by day for much longer, we'd eventually have a 21-year-old actor portraying a 13-year-old boy, and that would be bad. He's got a full beard, and it's like, hey, Dad. Yeah. Um... I like this girl that I just met. I'm going to go play Uh, with the other 13-year-old kids. (laughs) I was thinking of kissing her. (laughs) Oh, Oh, Carl, I think that's a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Here's the thing about jumping from season five to season six now. I don't think we can do a time jump. Are we just going to skip over all this time of Rick... um, taking control of Alexandria, teaching people how to live, not to mention the fact that Morgan shows up and there's clearly going to be some sort of um, difference of opinion between those two. I mean, are we just going to suddenly show up and everyone's like walking around, hey, buddy, hey, neighbor, how are you? Good to see you. And like, we have to see the outcome of of Rick and Morgan's transformation into the characters they become and how they interact now. Yeah, I think they could get away with a couple of months though. Right. Or maybe even six months or what have you. They could be both be sitting on a porch and reminiscing about the differences of opinion that they had. Or they could, uh, you know, talk about the fact that they've had differences of opinion or show that they've had differences of opinion that are finally, finally coming to a head. Right, that's mm-hmm. been building over months and months and months, and rather sh- rather than showing that, they can show how that ended up in whatever predicament they currently are in. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess there's a lot of ways to do it, and then they don't have to pick up right where they left off. I kind of feel like though we need, we almost need a scene that does actually pick up right where we left off, or maybe it's the next morning after the meeting, 
and you know Rick wakes up and Glenn or not Glenn and Morgan wakes up and they they talk it out basically and then and then somehow we jump ahead I I think I'd like to see that that first yeah. reaction to each other because we haven't really got that um but if we don't hopefully they do it in a in an interesting and compelling way that that you know gives us what we what we need to know about what went down between those characters they could have the first scene of the next season be uh, exactly that, the moment where they left uh, the last season, and then every commercial break, they have a time jump of a couple of weeks or a month or whatever. So, you know, it, you have a, uh, a couple of scenes, kind of a, a diorama type thing, and then a commercial break, and then as soon as you come back, it says three weeks later, and then they go on, and then after that, they go two weeks later or what have you, and then we jump ahead that way. That'd be interesting. It would be interesting. I'm not sure if I'd like that or not, but I'm willing to give it a try. I'll talk you into it. Okay. If it happens, I'll talk you into why why it's good. Okay, perfect. I like to hear that. All right, next we have an email from Stephen on the internet. Interesting finale. Some great moments, Morgan opening, Carol and Pete, Daryl, but some stuff uh, that didn't really make much sense. How did Glenn escape those zombies? And the ending, uh, well, it had a Deus Ex Machina written all over it. Uh, walking plot device, Pete just delivered Alexandria to Team Rick. All in all, for me, not so much disappointing, but a little underwhelming. I wish we had a little bit more wolves action to heighten the menace factor. Yeah, I kind of agree with Steven uh, in, in terms of the wolves anyways, but I also think that they had to, they still had to wrap up a lot of the stuff in Alexandria before we could move on. I mean, imagine if we didn't get any closure to sort of the Pete, rick jesse triangle or we didn't get any closure to what they were going to do with rick after his little outburst there you know i think there was uh sorry Sorry. okay over there yeah a little bit (laughs) you know i there was definitely some of those things that it would have bugged me if if those things were just left hanging right and they suddenly introduced this this threat of the wolves um and because if they did if the if the wolves had shown up at the gate and suddenly they had to deal with that. I just don't feel like we ever would have gone back and dealt with with all the stuff that had that that they'd set up in Alexandria. So I am kind of glad that they went through all that, they got it done with, and now we can move forward in season six with new problems. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I like having new problems. The same old problems get really annoying after a while. You got to have a new problem every day. It keeps yeah. life interesting. Yeah. Okay, next is Dave in Sheffield, UK. Dave writes, one of the best episodes of the series. I would have given it 10 out of 10, but must offer 8 out of 10 because of a few issues. So I'm going to read one of uh, Dave's issues here because uh, there were uh, uh, three, I think, and just for time, we'll go with this one. So Dave writes, Aaron and Daryl are stalking the guy in the red poncho. They know he is traveling on his own, yet Aaron proceeds to take out the long-distance microphone and to listen to his conversation. His conversation with who? (laughs) How much is a lonesome traveler going to talk when he's walking on his own? The whole idea about stalking someone who is alone is a complete waste of time. Aaron and Daryl knew he is a survivor and can obviously protect himself. What could they possibly learn from him unless he interacts with another person? A complete waste of time in my opinion. I believe this whole scene would have worked better if they were following Morgan rather than Red Poncho Man then it would have made more sense when Morgan had found them in the wolves compound rather than coming across them accidentally. Okay, so I like the Morgan idea. 
Me too, actually. That would that would have been really cool. But you can listen to a guy. If a guy's on his own for enough time, uh, he's going to start muttering to, to himself, right? Oh, I got to watch my step there. And then oh, if that guy that I passed back there, he was really annoying. And I, I'm glad I slit his throat because he was a stupid son of a bitch. You know, you can learn a lot when you're listening to a muttering person. Things like, oh boy, I really wish those guys with that listening device weren't following me. <laughs> yeah, those guys are always following me. They're listening to everything I'm saying. I'm going to circle around and uh, slit their throats while they're sleeping. Some bitches. <laughs> That's right. You gotta. Uh, you you want to hear that kind of thing, because if you don't, you'll never know yeah. it's coming. <laughs> or, you know, maybe they want to hear uh, how heavy his footsteps are. Whether he's a little light kind of ding, 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 or a you know, a big plotter, boom, 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 you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I'm not sure that factors in whether you'd want to know, whether you'd want to know that when you're deciding if you're going to invite him into Alexandria, but you never know. <laughs> well, maybe they're putting together some kind of dance troupe and they got to find out what kind of dancer this guy might end up being. Yeah, you know, maybe. They, they might have a, a choir going on. They might have all singing, all dancing, uh, you know, super show that they're they're putting together there. Yep. Sorry, Dave, for making fun of your point so much. Uh, but the whole Morgan I th- idea, I think, actually is pretty good. I uh, I wasn't making fun of Dave. I was making fun of... <laughs> Dave's idea. I was making fun of the show because Dave pointed it out. It absolutely makes sense. Why the hell would they listen to this guy that's by himself? Right, So okay. I'm trying to come up with random ideas <laughs> to help Dave uh, understand. I'm not making fun of Dave, and I think his Morgan idea would have worked beautifully, and I think that uh, I'm going to mentally rewrite the show to have that be true. I'm I'm a little surprised they didn't go with Morgan, to be honest, and have him do that. I mean, I guess they needed Red Poncho Guy so that he could be killed by the wolves at the end and kind of reveal a little bit about them. And if it's Morgan, you can't, because Morgan can't die, you know? There Morgan... was no point in killing that Red Poncho Guy. That didn't make any sense either, though. Yeah, I, I know, but other than the fact that it shows how ruthless the wolves are. But we then know again, that from when they were going to try and kill Morgan. That's true. I was we just know that say. from the trap. That I mean, everything makes sense without that red poncho guy there at all. So yeah, no, I'm just, I've mentally rewritten the show. It uh, They were following Morgan. <laughs> they lost him, and then they got trapped, and then Morgan saved them. Seems like Done. it would be a better storyline when you, when you say it like that. Yeah, no, it, it makes perfect sense to me. All right, uh, let's move on. Thank you, Dave, All right. for that. Yeah, thanks, Dave. So next we have Andy in Western Supermare, England. Like half our listeners are from this place. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Uh, could you help me clarify whether the wolves guys see themselves as the settler or the wolves they mentioned in their story at the start of the episode? They mentioned that the first settlers put bounties on the trapped slash killed wolves uh, sorry, to put bounties and trapped or killed all the wolves. So is that not what they're doing with these traps? but I always thought that they thought of themselves as the wolves. Confused. <laughs> Signed, confused in Western Supermare, England. Yeah. Um, so here's what I did. I went back and I watched that scene with the closed captions on. Yep. And I understood it a little bit better when you can actually read the words and not have to listen to Mr. Mumbly W forehead guy. And what he does is he explains, as we know, how the first settlers to that area made... They put bounties on wolves and made the and the natives hunted them until they were all gone. Right. He was what he was saying is the wolves were all gone from the area. Yeah. And then he says, and they're back now, and points to his forehead. So he sees themselves as the wolves who have returned, basically. Oh. Right. So society has gotten rid of uh they hunted to extinction this style of person. Mm-hmm. 
right? But now that society is all fallen apart, the wolves can uh, come back again and take on their rightful place of dominance. And flourish. And flourish. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, so that's that's what it is. They don't see themselves as the settlers or the natives. They are the wolves who are back, and they're right. taking back what's theirs. Hunted to almost extinction, but uh, they are bounding back in this uh, this new world that where they can thrive. Correct. Right. Yeah, there's an island just off outside of Sault Ste. Marie where I grew up called St. Joe's Island, and they hunted all the wolves off of that island, and now they have an extremely uh, large deer population, and uh, they have to hunt the deer, or they just would completely overwhelm the entire island. So every every year they have a certain number of deer that have to be hunted on this island. Right, because the wolves were there doing population control. That's right, but they're they're all dead now because there's lots of farmers too. And farmers don't like wolves. <laughs> no, they don't. Especially chicken farmers. Yeah. All right. Uh, next is, it's me, right? Brian in Texas. Right. Brian says, so I get it. The main theme for this episode was forgiveness. Abraham and Eugene, Gabriel and Maggie, Glenn and Nick all seem to wipe the slate clean, uh, which will be necessary for the coming calamity with the wolves. However, Sasha's story is now tedious at best. My wife and I were watching the finale, and when Sasha laid down in the mass grave of Walker bodies, my wife said out loud, I'm tired of this girl's problems. <laughs> <laughs> she is not as big a fan of the show as I am, but her succinct statement summed up my feelings exactly. When people go to crazy town, example Rick, the story gets muddled and the bigger picture gets lost. I realize this is part of the character development, but since Sasha is a red shirt ensign, it's a lot of icing, but no cake. We're uh, we're currently buying into her character right now, and I think it's going to pay off at uh, the beginning of next season. How do you think that? What, uh, what do you think is going to happen with her? Do you have any ideas? Oh, yeah, I got ideas, but uh, it's going to spoil the comic. Oh, all right then, fine. So Let's... I can't really, uh, I don't really want to dig into them. All right. Um, I agree, though, with Brian and your wife. I'm just I'm just tired of uh, of of Sasha's sort of mopiness and like you said maybe Jason, suck it up people die it's the zombie apocalypse for crying out loud well i mean no that's not entirely true because people die and yes that's sad and that affects you but we had like three episodes of her doing this sort of all telling us the same thing to in various ways and in my opinion to varying degrees of success right. and the last scene lying down in the pit of pit of zombies was fantastic in my opinion and i wish sort of that's maybe not all we got of it, but that was enough for me to sort of tell me what she was feeling. Um, but if we had that plus the stuff with, uh, with Gabriel in this episode, like that all worked, that all worked really well. Um, it just took too long to get there. So right. let's hope they pay it off in season six. Like you say. Yeah. I, I don't so. think she's a red shirt though. I mean, that, that implies that she's just there to be killed off. And I don't agree with that. No, I don't agree with that. Either. The 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 red coated guy was a red shirt. Red poncho guy, yeah. Yeah, red poncho guy was definitely a red shirt, literally, figuratively, and uh, you know, absolutely every way in between. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, okay, so it's me. Uh, next, we have uh, Jess in Sydney, Australia. I'm tired of people excusing being okay with and even preferring that Glenn didn't kill Nicholas, all under the pretense of uh, he's a good guy. 
The Walking Dead isn't set within our own moral guidelines, and accepting that it may sometimes be necessary to kill no longer means that you aren't an inherently good person. Glenn had to sit and watch as Noah was painfully and mercilessly torn apart limb by limb, limb, all because Nicholas is a spineless coward. Nicholas then came back and tried to get Glenn, Glenn banished from Alexandria, shot him, left Glenn to be eaten by a bunch of walkers, again tried to beat him to death, but Glenn still can't realize that it's in the... Uh, that in this world, after everything, somebody like Nicholas needs to die. I understand that killing someone still wouldn't be necessarily uh, be an easy thing to do, and that it can and will haunt you afterwards. But if Glenn can't kill somebody after all of this, I just don't see how he expects to survive in this world. So, fair enough. Uh, you know, Nicholas has not done anything positive really when it comes to Glenn or almost anybody on this show and and I can see Jess's point but I think at the same time what we're what they're trying to tell us is that Glenn has has had his uh ups and downs or had his personality traits you know flip-flop a little bit and he's tried different things he's tried helping people he's tried not helping people and at the end of the day now he's fallen on the side of I'm going to try to be a good person, and um, I know that's counter to what Jess says, that killing someone doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad person in this post-apocalyptic universe, Yep. but um, I think Glenn has made this choice that he doesn't kill people uh, unless, unless they're zombies, I guess, or there's absolutely no other option, and maybe he isn't quite at that point with Nicholas yet. Maybe Nicholas is a a project for Glenn, you know, and this could go either, either <laughs> of two ways. Maybe he's a, uh, you know, Nicholas is a, uh, a revenge project. Like I'm going to, you know, killing him is just not good enough. I need him to know that he's beaten by everybody knowing how much of a coward he is and kicking him out and thinking he's a piece of shit. And then he can go and die off uh, by himself, left uh, far away uh, with only a day's worth of food and no weapons, right? Yeah. Or it's a redemption project. I'm going to redeem this fucker no matter what, and uh, he's going to end up being a good person. And if I have to, uh, if I have to beat him senseless every day until he's a good person, you know, it's funny. While I was talking about how, what I think Glenn Glenn's character, the transformation he's gone through, I in my own mind, I almost had a hard time convincing myself of what I was saying <laughs> because. <laughs> You know, I, I was thinking about it as I was talking there, and then I realized that I, you know, I'm about to say he, you know, Glenn isn't going to kill anyone unless his own life is in absolute danger. And when you think about it, I mean, he got shot by this guy. He got, he got, uh, he left him under the zombies. He tried to beat the crap out of him. I would say Glenn's life was in danger. So yeah. despite all that, he still didn't kill him. So, you know, I'm a little more on Jess's side than I, thought I was when I started talking <laughs> and uh uh but you know I I just think that's what it is I mean she may be right there may be times when you just need to kill people although it is an interesting contrast Glenn won't kill this guy but Rick no problem killing anyone who doesn't get on board yeah uh, not so much forgiveness on the on Rick's side no not really all right thanks Jess for that one next is Justin in Virginia Justin says, we heard that Rosita took care of Rick. 
So it is assumed she has basic medical skills. And we know Carol has basic medical skills. But what about Abraham? He was a sergeant in the army. Shouldn't he know how to handle a bullet wound? Interested in your thoughts on Abraham the doctor? Uh, I was in the reserves. They didn't teach me how to deal with a bullet wound other than if it's... Uh... If you see somebody shot in the chest and there's pink frothy bubbles, that's a sucking chest wound. Put your hand on it. Okay. That was what that was what they told us. That's not uh, that's not really medical skills though. That's no, it just... isn't. It's uh, you put your you seal that wound up so that that son of a bitch can breathe. Oh, I see. Apply pressure. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not really pressure because it's a sucking chest wound. Because uh, when you take a breath in, it's your uh, your muscles in your chest that expand that creates a lower air pressure inside your chest cavity than outside in the air. So the air flows into your lungs, right? So you have to have that negative pressure in your chest. You get a hole in that. What happens is you expand your chest, but the air goes into the hole and uh, doesn't force the air to go into your lungs. So you can't breathe anymore. And that's how you get a collapsed lung. Got it. So when you put your hand over the hole so that when he takes a breath in, that there's still that negative pressure and the air goes in through uh, through the lungs. That's so hardly that, basic uh, medical skills, though. So I just I just don't right. know that if you are a sergeant in the army, you necessarily have any medical training at all. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not. I can tell you for sure I didn't get any, but I'm not a sergeant in the U.S. Army. No, right? I never have been. So uh, and you never will be. Oh, probably. <laughs> there's a very very little chance I might. You know, someday. If they uh, if they invent uh, the ability to transfer my consciousness to a robot, and the robot's allowed then allowed to join the U.S. Army, it could happen. It could happen. Um, or Not going to rule it out completely. They open but, some kind of honorary sergeant program. Even then, <laughs> yeah, I'd most likely get a more than likely get a uh, an honorary something else rather than a military sergeant. <laughs> yeah, probably. So. I don't know about Abraham's doctor abilities. Yeah, I don't know. I would assume that he just has none, but uh, uh, at least Rosita and Carol have some basic skills. I got more first aid training in high school than I did in the uh, in the reserves. Well, there you go. That's all right then. You know how to apply a Band-Aid. Uh, that's true. <laughs> Good. <laughs> all right, next we have, uh, that was Justin, right? So next we have Matt in Clementon, New Jersey. It's amazing to me how happy I get when Morgan appears. I loved his enjoyment of the Lucky Rabbit's foot and, of course, his staff work on the wolves and zombies. I expected Daryl to be uh, the one to meet Morgan, and having the map and note Abraham left was a nice organic way for them to mention Rick. However, Morgan not killing the wolves had kind of screwed the group, through. though I'm, uh, I'm sure another pair of wolves would have found the pictures anyway. Yeah, I guess there are, there are more than just two wolves. Um, but Morgan, you know, every life is precious. He doesn't kill people either anymore. Maybe that's right. what Glenn is feeling. Every life is precious, despite how much of a dick this guy is. Right. I don't I mean, know. Not Rick, though. Boy, that guy's a dick. I'm going to shoot him in the head. Yeah, that's right. Doesn't take much dickery for Rick to go off on him. I just need uh, somebody to say that it's okay. Yeah. It's somebody right. did. Someone did. Boom. Um, as for, you know, Daryl meeting him, Morgan being organic, I mean, for me, I loved it. I loved it so much. But at the same time, in the back of my mind is like, oh, this is a little too coincidental, but I can't help but love it anyways. So yeah. I'm, and I'm fine. And I, I was also extremely happy to see Morgan at the beginning of the episode. I was like, yay! I, was, I actually said that out loud. 
I was very happy. Yeah, they're not screwing us. They're not going to tease us any longer. And I, but I like Lenny James in anything. Like I'll I'll watch the man uh, butter toast for crying out loud. He's a genius. Oh, Lenny James buttering toast next yeah. on AMC. Yeah, I could <laughs> I could watch that for half an hour. <laughs> sure, because he'd probably talk to you in his native British accent, and he'd yeah. tell you what he's doing and explain how you know how dark he likes his toast and what he likes to put on it, and in his silky smooth voice. Toast is tricky, and it's also very personal how uh, how you like your toast. You know, I like my wife likes her toast extremely light. I like it a little bit darker. So we have uh, you always have to check the knob on the toaster because uh, she'll adjust it the way she likes it, and I adjust it back the way I like it. And uh, it's like leaving the seat up. It's it's a never ending dance between light and dark That's on right. the toaster knob. That's right. <laughs> toaster wars. There's another TV show for you. Uh, Jessica on the internet writes, I have no problem with Deanna telling Rick to kill Pete. In fact, I've been really strongly on the side of that's what you probably need to do. What I do have a problem with is Deanna only being happy with Rick killing Pete once her own husband has died as a result of Pete's drunken jack Of course, she would want him dead after that. But she knew the whole time that Pete was beating up Jesse and quite possibly his kids too. And a big man like that could easily have gone too far one day and killed them. But the idea of even trying to separate them was a step too far in her opinion. And she wouldn't even allow Rick to move Pete out of the house he shared with his family in an attempt to peacefully stop him. I really liked her in the first episode at Alexandria, but Deanna is a terrible, self-indulged leader. And it makes little sense to me that this community hasn't completely crumbled at her sad excuse for leadership. Well, they really haven't uh, come up against severe adversity, right? They've been they've had it pretty lucky, so having a uh, a peacetime leader like Deanna has worked for them up until now. But now, you know, there's uh, you know, shit meat fan and uh, you know, shit's going down right now and uh, we need a, a wartime leader, which is Rick. Yeah. I mean, they've had they they They've hinted at having some sort of, um, you know, conflict before. They did have to exile those guys, right? But yeah. maybe it's just so far and few in between that, uh, or few and far in between that, you know, it just, it hasn't really been a problem here. And she doesn't really learn anything from one problem to the next, you know? But it's an interesting point that it took her own husband being killed for her to finally get around to thinking, all right, this guy doesn't deserve to be amongst us anymore. Right. Well, look, when Deanna gets into trouble with uh, with her followers, what does she do? She banishes them. Get lost. You know, go away. Don't come back. What does our group do when uh, somebody is uh, not exactly the best person, even if they happen to be a couple of little girls? You kill them. You pop them. Yep. Yep. Yeah, you shoot them in the head be done with it. So, you know, that's the difference between their group and uh, our group. Not that, uh, you know, it's all our group now, but I, I think they've had it pretty easy and they've been able to make these uh, kind of uh, light decisions on what to do up until now. And now she's, you know, uh, basically the real world has smacked Deanna right in the face with her son's death and her husband's death. And uh, now it's time to start uh, kicking ass and taking names. Yeah, she's she's opened her or she's had her eyes opened to what can really go down. Yeah. And uh that's a fish you just can't get unslapped with. Yeah. It's very difficult to get unslapped with a fish. <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right. Uh next we have an email from Kate in Blackwood, New Jersey. Katie. Katie. Sorry, Katie. 
Uh, Rick shooting the doctor right as Morgan arrives in Alexandria was a terrific way to contrast Rick's violent nature with Morgan's pacifism. All life is precious. It will be interesting to see their relationship unfold. And this goes back to what I was talking about earlier. I want to see this relationship unfold because Rick is a very different guy than he was in season one, as is Morgan. And they've almost, they've flipped roles a little bit, right? So it will be interesting to see where this goes between the two. And I hope we don't skim over it in season six. So we've, we've, uh, yeah, Morgan's kind of, you know, luffing between a couple of different extremes here, right? Like in the first episode, in the pilot, he wasn't able to shoot his wife, who was a zombie, right? Which would be, you know, it's traumatic to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then the second time we saw him, he was killing every zombie he could get his hands on, mm-hmm. right? But he, you know, he still wasn't killing life. Whereas now he's uh, he's okay with killing zombies, you know, in a very efficient manner. But uh, he's completely opposed to uh, to killing life. We don't kill the living, as Rick once said. That's right. Rick once said that, but look where they are now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Along the same lines, Patience on the Internet writes, I think that Morgan will be the new and improved Herschel. He will help Rick find the balance. You can't be a farmer and you can't be Shane. Season six can show us the best Rick yet. Thanks to Morgan. Let's hope. I think that's a great, uh, great idea. Yeah. All right. Next, we have Ian on the Internet. I really think that Carol went to Pete's uh, with the food just to wind him up a bit a little bit more, and then ensured that he went into the confrontation with Rick in such a manner that uh, that was always going to be aggressive and thus maximize the chances of Rick killing him, just as Carol had always wanted. She's the real person in charge of this group, like a puppet master pulling all the strings. Carol is the puppet master. So she went there just to get them all pissed off so that to make sure that he wasn't calm and collected when they came to uh, ask him what he... uh, what he wanted to do. It's brilliant, really. Yeah. You know, get that guy upset. You know he's got a short fuse. You know he's uh, got a temper. He's a drinker, whatever. He's Get him riled up, and then he's going to bust into that meeting and, and prove to everyone that he's, you know, he's the problem. And yeah. this is this just, just you know, it enhances the Carol's and Rick's side of the argument. So Yeah. If you really want to wind somebody up, show up at their house with a casserole. And then pull a knife on him. And pull a knife. No one's yeah. happy about that. <laughs> yeah, that'll really get somebody, most people pissed off, really. It really will. All right, Lauren from Somewhat Sunny Florida has a long email here, so uh, hopefully I can get through this. Uh, but Lauren writes, when Pete shows up at the meeting yelling, Rick begins to pull out the gun from his waistband. During the podcast, you both mentioned that Carol was egging him on in a way by saying, do it now. When my husband and I watched the show, I heard her say, not now. And I went back to watch it again with the captions to verify this. She definitely says, not now. Carol is smart, and I think this was part of her overall scheme to get the Alexandrians to fully move behind Rick. Her early provocation of Pete during the casserole scene didn't make sense to me at the time, but I think that if you look at it as her attempting to get Pete to act out, then it sort of does make sense. But there had to be a real threat involved, not just an implied one. If Rick had killed Pete without any any real provocation, it would only further reinforce what Deanna had said previously about them being dangerous and not caring about anyone else outside of the group. But waiting and allowing Pete to show up uh, to show that he was the dangerous one, i.e. killing poor Reg, Rick now looks like the sensible leader who is willing to do whatever it takes to keep the majority safe. If Deanna had listened to Rick from the beginning, 
and allowed him to kill Pete before the fight, then Reg would still have been alive. Deanna realizes this too late and finally gives Rick permission by saying, do it. Rick's life could have easily been, uh, Reg's life could have easily been spared if Carol hadn't prevented Rick from pulling out his weapon, but then Rick's place in Alexandria would not have been secure. So first of all, Lauren's absolutely right. She says she not now. She does. I thought Carol said do it now, but that's not it at all. And this totally flips the scene around. She was. It was all part of Carol's plan to make Pete the bad guy and show everyone that Rick is right. Right. And I, you know, to be quite honest, I thought she said not now at the beginning, but then when we were re- recapping the episode, you said do it now, and I completely flipped and questioned my own sanity on what she was saying. So I thought you were right and that I was wrong and just went with it. So, but, uh, you know, you've gone back and confirmed this, Chris? I have gone back and confirmed. Okay, so she definitely says not now, and that makes perfect sense that, uh, you know, let this get to a head before you do anything so that, uh, you know, so that it makes more sense on what you're going to do. Yeah, I mean, I heard the wrong line and I, I worked it out in my mind thinking, okay, she's telling him to do it now because there's a commotion and, you know, whatever, something, you know, this is at least the time. It'll look like you're protecting people, something like that. But yeah. um, it it's it's more dramatic the other way around and I like it better the other way around where she's telling Rick to hold back because Pete is about to solve this problem for us. He's about to show his true hand. Right. And uh, it was, it's great. It's really great storytelling, and uh, it's so much better than the way I thought it went down. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Lauren, for uh, writing in and pointing that out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. So next we have Marley on, uh, Merrily, Merrily on I, I the think internet. I'd say, I'd say Merrily, yeah. Okay. It's definitely not Marley. No, it's not Marley. <laughs> it's a Merrily on the internet. Most everyone is saying that there is uh, there was no end of season cliffhanger. Well, I disagree. We've we've seen everyone except Glenn at the end. He's still out, out in the woods, and I keep thinking to myself that he might have been hit a bit during that struggle on the ground with the walkers. Uh, one of the core family members didn't die during the finale, but who's to say someone isn't mortally wounded? Merrily, 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 merrily. Anyways, um, yeah, I mean, what if he was bit and we come back in season six and we're hit with this revelation that Glenn has been bit, is stuck out in the forest somewhere or comes stumbling back through the gate and Glenn goes in the first episode of season six. I think we just freaked out a lot of people. I think Nicholas is going to save his life. Oh my God, if Rick, if he's bit... (laughs) And he didn't kill Nicholas, and Nicholas is now like, Jesus, I got to cut off your arm. We're going to have armless Glenn, but Nicholas saved him. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. Oh, kind of would. It kind of would, but it would also be like, oh, my God, poor Glenn, (laughs) this guy, you know, and now he saves his life. Jesus. Yeah, we've had, uh, we've had. A leg cut off, you know, could we, could we deal with Glenn with a, with a, without a hand? Sure. Why not? Okay. I'm not sure I could, to be honest, but we will see. I don't know. It's <laughs> that would be quite a twist. I I gotta say, quite a twist. Yeah, that'd be that'd be cool. All right, Brandon in New Jersey writes: When Rick was taking out the walkers that got inside the gate, he did pull his knife to kill them. But when the last walker gained the upper hand and took him to the ground, I think that he didn't want everyone to hear a gunshot, but he also didn't want to die. 
So Rick slowly pushed the gun up through the walker's jaw and into the brain in a successful attempt to use the walker brain as a silencer for the gun. Smart. Very smart. Yeah, I just think it's it's awfully thoughtful of Rick, and it's amazing how thoughtful he could be while a zombie was on top of him, you know, pushing him into the ground. That's true. But hey, he was able to come up with this, push the gun in, and uh, blew the zombie's brains out through his eye sockets. You know, one of the uh, one of the great benefits of someone like Rick is being able to think rationally in an intense, scary situation. And it's 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 definitely an ability that not everybody has. No, that's true. Although Rick, even though he's in Crazy Town, he seems to be able to think under pressure. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, Crazy Town is one thing, but uh, you know, being in mortal danger, uh, you know, crazy or not, you're going to fight for your life, mm-hmm. right? And being able to think rationally so that you're capable of not just giving up or. Uh, you know, it would be a bad time to hear a, a, a ghost phone ring and answer it and start talking to your dead wife. <laughs> you know, you're in the middle of a, a mortal fight with a zombie. You know, don't answer the phone, dumbass. That's you know, true. really. So, uh, yeah, he's, he may be, you know, crazy town or not, you can still, he can still think rationally in a, uh, in, a, in a fight to the death. That's true. And he seemed to because he didn't want to alarm everyone by firing a gun off while they were all at the meeting. <laughs> That's right. Good, or good maybe thinking. you know he was he was he was already thinking about the dramatic entrance that he wanted to make by slapping down the dead zombie, uh, so he's like, well, I don't want to spoil that by everybody come running and saving me, uh, you know, I want to make my entrance, so I have to be quiet. He knows how to enter a meeting, that's for sure. That's right. Well, yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna show up a meeting late, that's all about you. Bring a corpse. You know? Bring a corpse and slap it down. <laughs> That's right. Be covered in blood and gore and stuff. Oh my God. Does he ever not have blood all over his face? Like seriously, <laughs> man. <laughs> man knows how to make an entrance. That's for sure. He sure does. <laughs> all right. Next we have an email from Virgilio. I think so. Yeah. All right. In California. Uh, I've, I've been thinking about the Alexandria front gate and it seems like an easily identifiable weak point. The road is pretty flat and straight leading up to the gate, so anyone wanting to ram ram down the gate with a large truck or semi isn't really impeded. Abraham, with his military experience, would know how to set up an entry control point, or an ECP, with barriers that force vehicles to slow down and navigate around them. The barriers could even be as easy uh, could even be easy to come across. Just drive a few vehicles up to the gate and park them perpendicular to the road. What do you think? Will the Alexandrias think about the about beefing up security at the gate before the wolves in their zombie-filled rigs and traps catch up to them? Yes, I think they will. I think that one of the things that Rick and the, the group are going to do is say, we got to beef up security here. We need to have um, patrols. We need to have watches. We need to have people yeah. in the guard tower. We need to park some cars along the road so that you can't come full speed in a truck and ram down the gate. Right. It so what they need sense. to do, they have electricity. I'm sure they, they have VCRs. I'm sure there's a video store around the corner. Go rent The Godfather and then sit down and watch the first half of The Godfather because that's exactly what they do. They get into a war with a rival, uh, what do you call it, mob boss. Mm-hmm. And uh, around the uh, around the compound, they beef up security in just this way. They have parked vehicles out front. They have people on the walls. Uh, there's nobody getting through that uh, through those walls. Well, I think that's what's going to happen here in in Alexandria. Whether it's in time or not, before the wolves get there, we'll see. Maybe they'll be partway done. Maybe they will, you know, be just finishing, or maybe they'll be just starting when the wolves show up. We we yeah. don't really know, but it could happen. Could go down anyway. 
You could learn a lot from The Godfather. I mean, even uh, hiding a gun uh, taped to the bank of, back of a toilet tank is uh, is a very Godfather thing to do. That's what Rick was doing. He was hiding his uh, hiding the gun so that he could shoot the chief of police. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make much sense, but hey, I no, get the gun in the toilet. But thing. hey, <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, all right, next is uh, Ken from the Podkist podcast. Ken says, I am tired. I'm kind of tired of the super ninja squad that we are developing in a way. It seems like we are halfway to having the teenage mutant zombie killers with Morgan and Michonne. I kind of miss how this show could have been about people who survived despite not being a Jedi Knight. I understand that people would become more sharpened over time and only the strong survive. Um, but we do know, now have a character who's extremely proficient with. A katana. Yep. Another one who clearly is proficient with a bow staff. <laughs> yeah, staff. And, uh, you know, we just need... Crossbow. We just need... Oh, we have a crossbow. Now we need some, like, a nunchuck character or something. Carol's the knife person. She's the knife person. Rick is the gun person. Yeah, Daryl's also the, the ghost rider person, remember? Yeah, he's also the ghost... Well, we have, yeah, we have the uh, Rick, the, the gunslinger, mm-hmm. right? We have, uh, we have the sniper. Yes, we do. Okay, what is... Uh, Who's and as you a, said, Carol's knife specialist. Yep. Um, do we have a demolitions expert? Not really. Probably. I'm gonna go with Aaron. Well, what if anybody, it's probably Abraham. Yeah, okay, Abraham. I'd go with Abraham then. Yeah. We need somebody who's uh, who's an expert at hand to hand combat. Hand to hand expert. And and making puns. <laughs> because hand to hand expert needs to make puns. Right? Rosita clearly has a sense of humor. Yeah, okay, so that's her, and then we need an acrobat. An acrobat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if, we, what's Glenn? We haven't got, ooh, Glenn or Maggie, what do they, chop liver? Uh, Glenn is the scrounger. He he's might... the, uh, he's, he, he's the guy, he's like uh, Red in uh, Shawshank Redemption. He's a guy who can get you what you want. He, yeah, he can get you what you need. You know, if you need a, uh, a, a poster of Rita Hayworth, he can find it. That's true. You know, you need a little rock hammer. You know, Glenn's the guy. You go to Glenn and say, "I need, I need a hammer that's about six inches long." Glenn's like, "Yeah, sure. I'll just stop by the rock shop over uh, over in Glenville, which is a coincidence." <laughs> Glenville. <laughs> that's all you could come up with. The guy's name plus Ville. <laughs> yeah, genius thinking on my feet right there. That's that's uh, fast thinking stuff. And Maggie is the wild card. You never know what you're going to get with Maggie. That's right. She's like a box of chocolates. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. That's everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and Eugene, he's the scientist. I mean, that. yeah, we have we need yeah we need the Brainiac. So yeah, we definitely have the uh, the super uh, teenage mutant zombie killer uh, ninja squad here. That's right. You're you're, you're right, Ken. This is uh, it's getting a little annoying. <laughs> <laughs> now that we laid it all out like that for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. All right. Uh, uh, the final email is uh, what's it pronounced? Carver in the UK. What I'm looking forward to most next season is that I believe there may be a clash of ideology between Rick and Morgan. As we know now, Morgan values life, and Rick will kill to protect. With other members of Rick's group showing their strength in other ways, Glenn displaying mercy, Maggie showing forgiveness. Uh, maybe not only uh, will Alexandria be split, well, but so will our core group. Right. So there you go. Um, we've kind of already talked about how, how Rick and Morgan are going to have to work out their differences and how, you know, they've interestingly swapped characters in some ways. Um, but this, you know, Carver here also kind of is displaying the fact that everyone is settling into their individual personality traits 
um, not for the first time ever on this show, but it seems to be cementing itself a little bit more, at least in the second half of season five. Yeah. So good stuff. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for writing and calling in. That's going to do it for our feedback. Um, And that's going to more or less, not quite, but more or less do it for our normal coverage of season five. Yeah, that pretty much uh, wraps it up with a nice little bow and uh, a Hershey's kiss on top. Almost, not quite. We've gotten the bow. The Hershey's kiss is coming on Monday, though, because on Monday we are going to be talking to Steve Coulter, the actor who played Reg on the show. So we'll definitely have to talk about, you know, what it's like having your neck sliced, uh, what his character's sort of role was amongst the group, and just how the season finale went down from his perspective. So we'll be... Are we really going to ask him what it's like to have his throat cut? Well, I I want to ask him what it's like to to film a scene like that where, you know... Because they probably didn't actually cut his throat. I know, we've been over that. But I, you know, I I just, you know, it's got to be different than... You know, standing there having a acting a conversation with someone, <laughs> but that's all part of the job. So we'll find out what that's like, and uh, that's coming up on Monday's podcast. And then um, a little bit later in April, we'll do our crossover with Jason and Karen on the Walking Dead cast, and that's when we'll sort of wrap up our final feelings on season five before we slide on into the summer and uh, take a break. Fear the Walking Dead. That's coming next. That's coming. I don't know when in the summer that's going to premiere, but if I had to guess, I would say if there's, no, I would say August. August 14th. Maybe. Or maybe, what if they do it like six weeks before the main show comes back so that that show ends on one week and then the next week the the main show starts up? Yeah. So mid-August would be perfect. Mid-August or or very late August, beginning of September, really. That's not really a summer show then, is it? No. It's more of a, that's my early fall show. It is, yeah. Maybe The Walking Dead's going to come back a week or two early in the fall. That would be okay. No, that's not gonna And but what I mean by week or two early, week or two early is not the middle of October, but maybe the beginning of October. So that we go from mid-August to the end of September and then main show starting October. I don't know. We'll see. I, I think it's going to be June or July. Well, I hope so. The sooner the better, really. Yeah, we can podcast on uh, on the patio. Oh, that'd be sweet, except I'm not moving all this stuff outside. <laughs> right. Move your patio inside. Knock down one of the walls. Sure. It'd be fine. Why not? I'll open a window. That's as close yeah. as I can get. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a uh, nice, busy summer for us. And, of course, we'll do other things, too, like actor spotlights and uh, and all the regular stuff we do during the summer. So I hope everyone's looking forward to that. And, uh, and for those of you who are leaving us because I do know some people do that after the show is off the air. Um, thank you so much. And we will see you next October when the show's back on. I hope. I hope so too. All right. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can give us a call on the toll free line, which is one 483 9662 You know, 9662 spells Z-O-M-B on, on a phone keypad. So it's a zombie line. That sure is. Zombie. It it sure is. Z-O-M-B. Zombie. Yep. Um, You can send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. Um, If you want to help out support the show, quickly head over to patreon.com slash thetalkingdead and uh, check out our 
sort of uh, reward levels there for a small monthly pledge you can make. Or visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com slash Amazon before you do all of your shopping at Amazon. That's a really simple and effective way to uh, help us out. And one more thing you can do, which I haven't talked about in a long time, is leave us reviews on iTunes. Oh, yeah. You know, we used to we used to actually read those reviews occasionally just to pick one out every every week. But it's been a long time since we've done that. But I was looking at the iTunes, you know, rankings recently and so on. And you can leave reviews in whatever iTunes store you want. We have reviews in the Canadian store, the U.S. store, the U.K. store, probably others. Um, but uh, it's a great way to just get the word out there and help iTunes and Apple take notice of us, too. So, um and the more notice that they take, the more likely it is we get featured or just move our way up the charts a little bit. So feel free to leave us five-star reviews in iTunes. Feel free. And it uh, it would allow them to recognize uh, just how awesome we are. <laughs> That's what we're going for, I guess. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, leave a five-star review, but don't review the show. <laughs> review something else. Just make sure it's five stars. <laughs> That's right. You know, you can review whatever you'd like. Just if you, if you plan on leaving a five-star review for anything... Just do it in iTunes for our podcast. <laughs> you know, five stars. This is the the best box of cookies I ever bought from any Girl Guide troop worldwide. It was absolutely delicious. I like the mix of chocolate and vanilla in the same box. It was absolutely fantastic. Five stars. Five stars. Perfect. <laughs> that's exactly what we're hoping for. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's enough of that. Uh, thanks again, everyone. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with our interview with uh, Steve Coulter. So until then, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. Thanks for listening to The Walking Bachelorette. <laughs> talking Bachelorette. Yeah, walking, talking, the, the walk. The Bachelorettes walk, too, so it's okay. It works. They're pretty much undead anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Bye.